Welcome to episode 17 of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock in Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guest for this episode is the delightful Aussie, Graham Curry, who will blow you away with his weight loss transformation from intermittent fasting. You'll get to meet him right after this. Before we get started on this week's episode, I want to introduce you to a sponsor to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. It's a business in Little Rock, Arkansas, but because of the World Wide Web, you can shop anywhere in the world. It's Heights Apothecary and Hemp Co. That's right. I take CBD every day for a couple of situations I have. Uh, I like to say that the only medicine I take is thyroid hormone replacement, but I've got a few kinks that I'm trying to work out, and CBD has helped me. Now, one thing I do every day is I try to keep my sugar intake low in my life, but I like you like a little bite of something sweet. And I do a square of this Green Road CBD chocolate every day. It's kind of my dessert. It's got 15 milligrams of CBD per piece and only one gram of sugar and it's dark chocolate. So we know it's good for you. I also chew the, I've got the the gummies. They are sweet, they are delicious, and I've got a pinched nerve going on right now, and so the CBD has helped me with that pinched nerve. Now, I'm an intermittent faster, so I do all this within my feasting window, and I even take some things before I go to bed if I need help sleeping. I get it all through Heights Apothecary and Hemp Co., and they're offering 20% off to listeners to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast, exclusive to us, but you'll go to their website, you'll type in Lisa20 at checkout, and you you'll save. I've got the information in the show notes, so don't miss out. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, this is great. From one continent to another, we have intermittent fasting royalty with us. A man who's lost, I mean, people probably ask you, you, they accuse you, I bet, of having gastric bypass when in fact, Graham Curry, you've lost 132 pounds, which we have to use American <laughs> numbers for this math. Yep. But t- tell me about your journey, which is fascinating with intermittent fasting. Sure. Well, I've never really had many people accuse me of that, Lisa. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess going back, typical um, up to about the age of 14, I was pretty normal, actually. And and then when I got to 14, it was the first time I realised that I was fat when I overheard a conversation with my mum and dad. And my mum said to my dad that Graham's getting really fat. And that really threw me into a tailspin. I mean, these people were my heroes. And um, I sort of, my self-esteem sort of crashed a bit as a teenager. And, and then my mum and dad bought a convenience store. Um, and that didn't help because I spent three years in the convenience store out the back in the storeroom, eating the Coke, uh, drinking Coke like it was going out of fashion and lollies, chips, you name it. And I piled on a whole heap of weight through those years. And the more obese I got, um, I guess my school life went south as well. And obese kids have a rough ride. And I found myself getting bullied a fair bit through my school years. And um, I had to learn how to fight basically to survive in my school. And um, it was a tough going. 
And then after school, I sort of, the discrimination of obese people, um, I really found the first job I had was an apprentice butcher. And I had a job and I thought that was great. I was working one day and then the owner of the shop came in and said to the manager, why did you hire that fat slob out there in front of my butcher shop? And that sent me into another tailspin and um, roll the clock forward a bit. Around 19, I, I got rheumatic fever, which is quite a heavy disease. And I, um, I very nearly died. I was in hospital about eight weeks and I lost a massive amount of weight. And I came out of hospital and and I felt like I was a you person because I lost all this weight and I hit the party scene and everything changed. I became more popular with people. And it's just the first time that I realized how obesity and normality works in society. And um, yeah, I had some great years in my 20s and I traveled a bit and then I started, my weight started creeping up and into my 30s and 40s. And I developed from that time with my mum and dad um, uh, and having that shop, some pretty bad habits. And I basically formed a very bad sugar addiction and that turned into a fast food addiction and so for many years, I had some chronic food habits and that led to more weight gain. And to sort of finally roll the clock forward again to around the end of 2017, I had a very big week in um, Sydney at my in-laws over Christmas, drinking, eating, and I felt like I was going to explode. It just felt oh, my whole body was going to blow up. I was so big. And I went to a wedding um, at the end of that week and I went to put on my suit and my pants so I could hardly do them up. And then to top it all off, I was coming home to Perth, 1st of January, 2018, and I got onto the plane and I could hardly fit into the seat and um, couldn't do up my seatbelt properly. And I just said to myself, this has to stop right now. I have to, I have to stop this and I have to address my addictions and everything else. And so I looked at my wife sitting next to me who was taking up half her seat and I, I loved her so much that I thought I really need to do this for her and myself. And I got off the plane the other end and I don't know what it was. It was something about I just had to do it. And then I set about learning about what my problem was with my sugar and fast food addictions first. Um, and I sort of delved into that and I just basically quit them cold turkey. I stopped going to the drive through two, three times a day I learned about sugar or what sugar was in food. That took me a whole day in the supermarket to work that out. And then slowly I started getting into this um, withdrawal phase, which lasted about three weeks, the most brutal period probably of my life personally. Um, it was horrible. I spent two days in bed doing it over my head, trying to break this addiction. And then um, so roll the clock forward um, about end of February, 2.18, I was lying in the hammock scrolling my phone and I saw this thing, intermittent fasting. And I thought, what's intermittent fasting? I had no idea what it was. And one meal a day uh, lifestyle. And I thought, what sort of nutcases eat once a day? I mean, <laughs> that doesn't happen. I mean, who does that? I mean, this is a guy that's been eating 30, 40 times a day. And uh, anyway, I started looking at it and I found Jim Stevens. This popped up and I thought, okay, who's this person? And and then I found the delay, don't deny Facebook communities. And um, so I thought, oh, you know, I'll join it and have a look and look into it. And then I saw all these stories and testaments of people in these groups and like, not just like five, 10, I'll do it, it's literally hundreds of them. And I thought, wow, 
Now, I'm going to have a look into this more, and I got hold of Jin's book, Delay, Don't Deny, and I read that pretty quickly, and and that book really, it, it, it turned on the light switch for me, and because it was so simple, I mean, there was two things you had to do. There was fasting and there was feasting, and so technically, most people, as you know, well, all people that sleep, they fast for eight hours, right? So they get up in the morning, they have breakfast, and it's spelled break fast for a reason. They're breaking their fast right. after their sleep. So then I thought, well, all I've got to do is delay it to what time I eat, this delayed time-restricted eating, and then sort of I've already cleaned up my act a bit from the sugar and fast food, and I felt like it was something I could do. It just seemed so simple. It almost seemed, you know, too good to be true. So I kicked off with a 23 and one. Uh, and for listeners, that's a... <laughs> All or nothing, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I, I actually didn't know any better. I just I just picked that because I thought, well, I'll eat at five o'clock and I'll finish at six o'clock. And that was it. And I started that. And what Before you got to that point, Graham, what had your weight done getting off the juice, you know, getting off the sugar, getting off the trips of the fast food? What had the scale done in those first few months? Okay, so when I first, first of January 2018, I was topping out at about 360 pounds. And then I sort of lost a little bit in that couple of months, you know, 15 pounds, something like that. Not a, not a whole heap, but enough to get me started. And then when I sort of came to intermittent fasting, I was up around, still around the 350 mark, something like that. It was fluctuating a wee bit, as you know. And then when I started the intermittent fasting with the 23 and 1, after the first month, I actually lost a few kilos or about 10 pounds. And I thought, this is fantastic. But it was just the way I felt. And when I started, my wife was actually in America working. Um, and I rang her in Philadelphia, and she was running up the rocky stairs there. And I said to her, I'm going to do this thing called intermittent fasting. And she said, oh, okay, honey. She'd heard all my, all my crazy diet stuff before. <laughs> and she goes, whatever you want to do, I'll bet the Rocky statue, I'll talk to you later. And so she came home a couple of weeks later and I went to pick her up at the airport and she came out and she looked at me and she said, oh, my goodness, what have you been doing? She said, you look amazing. She said, you, you, look, you look like your skin's glowing. You look fantastic. You lost weight. You look great. And keep doing this thing, what you're doing. And she was supportive right from the go-get. And so I continued on and basically 23 and 1 every day, 23 hours of fasting. I ate in a one-hour eating window. My eating style was basically a lower-carb, lower-sugar style because I was coming off that addiction um, to those things. I wasn't eating anything like fast food. Um, I cut all that out. And I was eating lots of things like, you know, steak, seafood, salads, you know, just good whole food that I enjoyed. I mean, I liked those foods anyway, so that was half the battle. And then I suppose the first eight months, I lost 100 pounds um, with my intermittent fasting. And it just continued. But the real thing that hooked me, I guess, Lisa, was the health benefits that I started to see. I mean, I had really bad psoriasis all over the backs of my knuckles, uh, elbows, uh, knees, and after about three months, the psoriasis started going away. It started healing. And then after six months, it completely vanished off my body everywhere. There was no sign of it. And I'd had it for 20 years. And the specialist all said to me, 
you will never get rid of this, Graham. You've got it for the rest of your life. You're, you're, t- you're just stuck with it. And I said, well, is it, some, is it what I'm eating? And they said, well, no, it's, it's just who you are. It's in your DNA, the psoriasis. And so I just thought I was going to have it, and then it started disappearing. So that was the first thing. Then I had um, quite bad arthritic fingers from that was a legacy of the rheumatic fever that I had when I was 19. And I'd wake up in the morning and I could hardly open my fingers. And that went away. And then there was other things. My eyesight improved. It seemed to be sharper, uh, mental clarity, energy, uh, all the typical things you hear about people talk about. But then I had really bad teeth. My teeth were in bad shape from years of abuse, um, abusing food. And I had really quite bad gingivitis. I'd brush my teeth and uh, I'd get bleeding. That'll stop. My gums started turning a really nice pink colour. So there was all these things stacking up. Uh, My hair was getting thicker and I was going to the barber shop. Now I say, man, you're like here every two weeks. What's going on? And so, yeah, it was all those things. So, yeah, I found after eight months, I got to that 100-pound loss. And um, then I had a bit of a stall uh, for a while. And nothing was sort of happening, and I, I didn't change anything. I just thought I'd trust the process. Um, I just kicked through that, keep going with the twenty-three and one, seven days a week. Uh, very rarely, I I didn't miss a day. Um, I kept doing that. I was pretty disciplined, and I, I just became what I did every day, like putting on your pants in the morning. Well, plus you're saying that um, you'd lost the hundred pounds, which obviously is a victory. You need a crown just for that. But the fact that the scale wasn't moving, you felt better. So you wouldn't have gone back to another, to an all day eating paradigm. The fact that you were eating for one hour a day, digesting one hour a day, you know, you gave your body a break. So I'm wondering, or what we hear from people, not just wondering, the weight loss is one thing, but the fact that you felt better, no matter what the scale said, is what motivated you, right, to continue. Yeah, it did. And it was just the way I felt. I mean, and by that stage, it was just a habit. I mean, they say it takes 30 days to form a habit. And I was in that habit of eating once a day. And I thought, well, you know, maybe my body's just having a rest now. And maybe this is where I'm at. You know, maybe my body's saying this is what what my weight should be. And then after a couple of months, um, I noticed it started moving down again. And then I was by that stage, and I'll I'll talk about exercise for a minute. Um, With exercise, when I started intermittent fasting, because I'd I'd just got through my head about getting rid of my addictions to sugar and fast food, and exercise was something that always tripped me up in diets of days gone by because I was trying to do the two things, diet, exercise, a bit like the biggest loser house, you know, like they flog people with exercise and, and you... And I just got sick of it because I was so big and became tiresome to carry that weight around. So in the initial weight loss phase of that 100 pounds, I did very little exercise, hardly anything. I mean, we have a horse property here with a few horses and, you know, I do general work on the property, that type of thing. But I wasn't really doing much aerobic exercise. And then when I got that 100 pounds off, I started exercising a bit more. And I just found I loved it. All of a sudden, it became my you addiction. I, I love walking. I then took up um, swimming. I mean, I, I couldn't swim when I was obese. So I live right next to the ocean, basically, here in Perth. And um, 
swimming was something I could never do. I, I never used to go to the pool because I was too embarrassed about because to take my shirt off at the swimming pool, it just wasn't going to happen. And then I, the lady taught me how to swim. I went to adult swimming classes. Um, and in three months, I started swimming 30 laps of an Olympic pool. And through that summer, I just got, it just got fantastic. And I loved it. I went every day. And then I started walking. And one day I was out walking and it, it was seriously like a scene from Forrest Gump, you know, when the calipers break off Forrest's legs and he starts running. Well, yes. that's, that's what happened to me. I was walking and I felt so great. I thought, I'm going to start jogging. And I started jogging and I just, I ran and I realized that I could run. And uh, for me, I just started bursting out in tears. I just, I can run. And um, I hadn't run for since I was a kid, you know, and because I was so obese, I just, jogging just wasn't an option for me. And so that day really turned a corner for me and I got into the exercise. I, I got myself a rowing machine and I, it's now, I love it. And if I don't do it, I feel like, you know, I, I haven't done it. It's like something I missed out on. It's like when I was a sugar and fast food addict, it was like, hey, I haven't been to the drive through three times today. I, I'm missing out. But now it's like, hey, get out and move a bit. What is your su- sugar consumption now and your fast food consumption? Fast food consumption, I haven't been in a fast food chain store like McDonald's or anything like that for three years um, now. Awesome. I haven't been through a drive through for three years. I still eat, might have a burger or we make homemade pizzas, homemade burgers, and we know what's in them. So my wife is really good at making that, and I, I make them too, and we usually have them at home. Uh, I mean, if you go to the restaurant or something, but just the normal burger stores and things like that, I haven't been in for three years. Sugar consumption. Um, when I was a sugar addict, I worked out when I was um, decoding the sugar intake that I was up to about 80 to 100 teaspoons of sugar a day. Okay. And I mean, I was, mm. when you talk about sugar addicts, Lisa, I was an 11 out of 10. Okay. And mm-hmm. then, I knew that I had to get it down under eight a day, which is the World Health Organization recommended intake for men. And I think it's six for women. Um, Don't quote me. I think that's right. And so I started trying to get it down to about six a day. And I got under that. I mean, to say you're going to go absolutely zero sugar is really hard because everything's got sugar in it. And if it says it hasn't got sugar in it, it's probably got hidden sugars in it. And that's the real trick. I mean, when I was learning about sugar and sugar addiction and reading the nutrition labels, it might say it has little sugar in it, but you read further down and there's about 80-odd names for sugar these days. Uh, Do you then ever treat yourself then with like blueberries and some heavy cream? You know, do you do fruit now or you try to be conservative on all sugar consumption? Oh, no, I have cream in my coffee in my window. Um, also, berries, I mean, yeah, I mean, berries are probably the lowest in natural sugars, um, you know, blackberries, um, you know, uh, strawberries, etc. So I'll have some of them for sure. But, you know, and occasionally, like if I go to somebody's wedding and they, they say to me, you know, it's, you have a bit of a wedding cake, then I'll probably have some. I mean, I haven't got to that, you know, point where, you know, I'm a, teetotaler absolutely because you've got to live life this has to be sustainable i mean you can't 
ever say, I'm never going to go to my daughter's wedding or something and not have a piece of her cake or, you know, my wife and I, we go for dinner sometimes and an interesting story about that. After about six months of fasting, we went out for dinner and my wife said, oh, you know, I'd really like to have dessert. And it just sent me into this crazy tailspin. I thought, dessert? Are you are you kidding me? And then I thought, you know, I've got to, you know, my wife wants to have dessert. You know, it's it's a normal thing to do for her. And I said, oh, look, okay, we'll have dessert. And I remember how emotional I felt because I'd been absolutely pristine. And then I had some of this dessert and I thought, oh, no, I've ruined everything. You know, all that emotion that goes through you. And it wasn't until that I read Jin's book, Feast Without Fear, that I learned that, you know, you're not going to ruin everything by going out and having some dinner. I mean, how often, Lisa, do you see in the groups or in your circle where people will say to you, oh, man, I've ruined everything. I went out on the weekend. I've fallen off the rails. I've had a kebab. Every day. That, that's that diet mentality. You're either good or bad. And we don't look at it that way. No. And I mean, and so I've learned to be sustainable now. I'm three years, over three years into this and, you know, coming up three years plus. But I think you, if you're going to do this for life, you have to make it sustainable and you've got to say to yourself, okay, I mean, I weigh every day, right? So right from day one. And the reason I do that is is because when I was really obese, Lisa, growing up, the scales we had in our bathroom couldn't record my weight, okay? I had no idea what I actually weighed. And apart from being sick when I was 19, the rest of my life, I enjoyed reasonable health. I wasn't hospitalized. I um, My blood pressure was always pretty good for a big guy. Uh, my cholesterol was usually in check. It used to drive the doctors nuts. I mean, he was this big, <laughs> obese guy. And, yeah. and they'd look at these reports and they'd look at me and they'd put the blood pressure thing on me and they'd go, this is so weird. And um, I'd say, mm. well, you know, my dad was the same. And anyway, so, and then when I had blood results done and everything else after I lost all the weight, and the doctor was looking at them and checked them all out and made the comparisons and that even got better. And she said, this is amazing. And she got switched on to intermittent fasting and she asked me all about it. And then um, she wrote the name of Jin's book down and she's now telling people that I need to lose weight about intermittent fasting. So that's pretty thrilling that my doctor's now on board with it. And I know that there's quite a few doctors on board now, as you well know. And um, here in Australia, it's still not mainstream at all, intermittent fasting. I mean, down here, three years ago, you would never have heard the words intermittent fasting in the news media or on radio. But now you hear it at least once or twice a week. And the big weight loss food companies, you know, are now advertising hey, lose weight with our intermittent fasting plan, but eat, still eat three times a day with our food deliveries. And um, they're trying to cash in on that, you know, intermittent fasting sort of catching on. And I know, for instance, in Jin's group, when I joined three years ago, there was a handful of Australians and New Zealanders in those groups. And now there's literally hundreds. But now, do you all have the obesity epidemic that we have here in the States? Uh, I wouldn't say it's as bad. I mean, I've been to the States uh, a couple of times and I remember in um, 2013, sorry, I went for my 50th birthday 
And I was a pretty obese guy then. And when I got to America, I was pretty shocked, to be honest. Um, just the level of obesity, but not only that, but it was next level. I mean, I, I, I honestly hadn't seen that sort of level of obesity. And I noticed in the smaller towns when we were driving across Route 66, the, the more rural areas, it, yes. seemed, it seemed to be much higher. It and, is, uh, right. Yeah, and I, um, your population is massive, of course, but right. but in Australia, it's getting worse. And the reason for that is, is we've had an explosion of fast food stores here in Australia virtually every street corner now um, and I know the obesity rates are climbing here in Australia. And isn't there some connection between the obesogens that these foods manipulate our hormones and our hormones as we know dictate a lot because we know that um, you know glucose and and what our pituitary sends out and um, insulin, those are all hormones. So isn't there some connection between then these fast foods and our ability to lose weight? Oh, I, I, no question about it in my mind. I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at myself, I mean, I was a guy who lived on fast food, basically. I mean, to give you an idea, I'd have breakfast. And when we talk about sugar, right, let's just mention that for a second. I'd have a typical breakfast, cereal, milk, orange juice, a banana, a little pot of yogurt, um, and two flat white coffees. Now that sounds pretty harmless, okay? But when I added all that up, I was having 25, 30 teaspoons of sugar just in that breakfast before mm. I left the house. Right. So then, you know, when you think about that, and then I'd go to the drive-thru on the way to work, I'd get myself a giant coffee. There was another five, six teaspoons of sugar I'd usually get a toasted sandwich as well, just because I thought I was going to fade away on the way to work. <laughs> right. And then, uh, for good measure, I, because I was a closet eater, and that was another pretty bad thing that I had, was closet eating issues. I usually, in my car, I'd have food stashed everywhere. I'd have a bag of potato chips under the front seat. You know, I'd have chocolate bars in my glove box, um, all of that. And I'd usually always hide the evidence from my family, um, from my colleagues. I mean, I'd go to work and it'd be an office birthday and everyone would have a big cake and everything else. And I'd be the guy that would say, oh, no, I don't want any cake. But then right. as, as soon as they all went home, I'd go to the fridge and eat the leftovers. And then I'd, on the way home, for good measure, I'd stop at the fast food store. So that was the level where I was at. And so when you're that hooked on that sugar, it's pretty tough to break it. And when I talk to people about breaking sugar addiction, I truly believe the only way to do it is cold turkey because it's a bit like saying to an alcoholic, just have two beers a day instead of eight, 12 beers a day, have two. Well, it doesn't work because you're still going to have that addiction. And if you just start intermittent fasting off the bat, and you've got heavy addictions to sugar, fast food. I mean, sure, if you can discipline yourself to keep to your fast and wait to your window, but when that window opens, those cravings are going to get you and you're going to binge like anything. And then you're going to hear all these people saying, hey, I've been doing this for two months and I've lost no weight. But then when you delve deeper, then they tell you that what happens is their window opens and they just 
go for it. Then why do you think you never face that? If you have an all or nothing type of capacity, what do you think protected you during that one sacred hour of eating that you didn't go crazy? Maybe you did in the beginning. Uh, well, I think that sort of, you know, few weeks where I had that withdrawal from sugar and fast food, I think that really helped Lisa, to be honest with you. When I got to that point, I mean, the fasting side of it, I found fairly easy. And when we talk about the clean fast, I mean, I was lucky that I read that in um, Jin's book. So I always clean fasted right from the start. And I have to say to people out there, if you're not clean fasting, you're not fasting, okay? It's simple as well, that. Well, let's define, let's go back over that, the term that we use freely in the Delay Don't Deny community, which is a Facebook group. Um, uh, Jen kind of, Jen Stevens, the author of the book and who I call the mom to intermittent fasting, kind of coined the phrase, but go ahead and tell us what inter that clean fasting is. Sure. So during your fast, a clean fast means that you're only taking in black tea, black coffee, water, plain sparkling water or plain green tea. That's it. Anything outside of that, you're breaking your fast, okay? Right. The only thing I will say to that is if your doctor gives you a prescription to say you have to take medication for some ailment you have or that you need, then you need to follow your doctor's prescription. But when you're fasting, fast clean because you'll get that maximum benefit from what you're doing. And why cut corners? You know, if you're going to fast and you're going to dedicate yourself to an intermittent fasting lifestyle, then do it to get the maximum benefits. And I have to say, I lost a lot of weight, Lisa, but it's not all about the weight loss, is it? I mean, the health benefits that we get, and to be honest with you, the health benefits that I've found from intermittent fasting are way more thrilling than the actual weight loss. Oh, absolutely. And also uh, the control factor. Like I'm never tempted if there's food in my kitchen that I've prepared or someone's brought over. And I used to think, oh, there are brownies and they're calling my name. I don't hear the brownies anymore. I, I have, um, it's given me self-control that I never really thought I would have. And I, I've heard Jen say, say this too. And I never have to worry season to season if the clothes are going to fit because yeah. I, I've kept in control and now there are hormonal changes. I do know that women go through in their fifties that they might notice that things fit differently, but the scale, I, I just don't have to fret about the scale anymore, which is freedom. You know, when you talked about um, the eating and the pattern of eating, you're also talking about the shame circle that I think a, and any addict would tell you there was part of that, the shame of in public, you said, but well, I don't want any of the cake but secretly you wanted the cake. So um, how do you think you helped overcome the shame that you felt as an addict and then one to freedom? Well, I think there's simply intermittent fasting cured that. Um, once I got into it and I found I could break that sugar and fast food addiction, it was staying out of that drive-through it was keeping that sugar as low as possible. For me, as in a person that was addicted that had food issues, and with the closet eating, I, was, I wasn't doing that because I had a window of time where I ate. So that was the discipline that came in. And you do still have to have discipline and focus with intermittent fasting. It's not a silver bullet. However, it's a, 
It's a health plan with the side effect of weight loss. And that's what I say to people. Don't treat intermittent fasting as a quick fix. It's something that you want to do maybe for the rest of your life. And I know people that say to me, well, I don't want to eat once a day for the rest of my life. And I say, well, you don't have to eat once a day for the rest of your life. If you get to the stage where you're happy where you're at, maybe on the weekends, like I do, I eat twice a day. I do a TMAD. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. So now I'm maintaining my weight, which I'm coming up two years of doing that. What I like to do is on the weekends, I do a 16 and 8. So that enables me to go and have a brunch with my wife and it extends that social network. Um, I will say one of the downsides for me of intermittent fasting was the social aspect. I mean, I was a party boy. Um, we went to a lot of events and um, I used to go pretty hard at the ball. I was a life of the party type of guy. And then I missed that. And when I started intermittent fasting, I stopped going to the pub with my mates. I wasn't going to as many functions for work. I used to avoid as many as possible because I was so laser focused that this is what I'm doing. But I also knew that that was having a bit of an impact on my wife as well. And she was missing that sort of, you know, hey, let's go to dinner. We used to do that a lot. Or let's go to lunch. We used to do that a lot. Or go out for breakfast. So on the weekends, but prior to IF and prior to breaking my addictions, we'd go out on the weekend, we'd have a lovely brunch or, or a breakfast or sit out in the back deck and have a lovely breakfast that would last for two hours. I mean, that's what we did. And so with intermittent fasting for me, the downsides were the social interaction was restricted and I found that tough to deal with. And then I started having some of my friends say to me, hey, well, you know, why aren't you coming out with us? You know, why, why aren't you doing this? And when I lost that first 100 pounds, a funny story, <clears throat> I went to uh, the pub one day to have a couple of uh, drinks with some mates. And they said to me, you've lost too much weight. Um, you're dropping out of the circles. Um, you're getting too skinny. You look like you got cancer all of this, right? We're going to have a weight loss intervention. This is in the middle of a pub, right? These three guys said to me, we're going to have a weight loss intervention. Anyway, I got a guy to come over and I said, mate, can you take a photo of the four of us? And he took a couple of photos and then I showed him the photo. And I said, who do you think, oh, we're all the same age. I said, who do you think looks the most healthiest in this photo? And they're all looking at each other and they didn't say anything. And then the conversation changed. And then two days later, two of those guys rang me and said, hey, look, you actually look terrific. Um, how do we do this intermittent fasting? And then I found as I was losing the weight and people would, who knew me really well would say, what's going on with that psoriasis that you used to have all over your hands? Where is that gone? And I'd say, well, you know, this is what I've been doing. And they'd say, well, What's, what's intermittent fasting? Tell us more about it. And I'd recommend that they read Jen's books or join her groups and these people would start. And I think over the last three years, I've probably just in my own circle, work, friends, it's probably up to about 70, 80 people that have taken That's up awesome. intermittent fasting. And you're probably the same. 
Yeah, I I have a big mouth, so and I've always used it for things. I hope for good. I've been a broadcaster for so long, so I have had a platform that's given me the opportunity to, when I was on the radio, to tell it on the radio, or if I was on TV, I could tell it. And people want to know more because when I was first presented with it, I think my husband came home from a meeting. Now he's super fit, has a low body fat, and he's an athlete. But he was telling me about someone he worked with who did fat, who was intermittent fasting. And I just said, don't even discuss it with me. I have low blood sugar. You know, I have thyroid disease. I cannot do that. I just got judgy and defensive. And then my son also presented it to me. And once my son came around and said, but it it's about a health plan that did perk up my ears. And then once you understand kind of the role that insulin has, you see that, um, we don't need as much food as we were told we needed. So that's, I think, a big paradigm shift for um, those of us in the West, um, in in the US, is that you don't need to eat six times a day. And that was a big fat lie. So that is something I kind of have to contend with people. And I'm sure you have too. Is that something that doc- were doctors telling you while you were overweight or obese, Graham, that you needed to have six small meals a day to lose the weight? Oh, doctors have always given me totally the wrong advice about losing weight. And it's funny you talk about we've always been told about you can't skip breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. I mean, we had that drummed into us when we were children here in Australia and New Zealand as well, where I grew up. And I know that um, my mum always used to say to us, you can't go to school without having breakfast, you know, otherwise your brain won't work and, you know, you won't do any good and you'll get thrown out of school. All this sort of type of stuff and the pressure to eat breakfast. And I don't know about you, Lisa, but have you ever been to a funeral where they've given a eulogy and said, here lies the bones of Graham. He died because he didn't eat breakfast. He missed or, breakfast. Yeah, he missed breakfast <laughs> and he died straight away. And, and you know, right. I, I got a lot of negativity on the way. And um, I had people that say to me, of course you're losing weight. You're only eating once a day. You're starving yourself, all of this. And uh, you're, you're eating lettuce leaves you know, in a one-hour window. <laughs> yeah. I say, well, when they see what I actually eat and they see the pictures, I mean, I'm, I'm a big lobster fan. I mean, people watch me eat lobster and salad a lot, fish. I mean, <laughs> beautiful food and steaks, you know, pork, lamb, you name it, all sorts of things, you know, when I had a beautiful seafood pasta the other day, all of that. And people say to me, well, how can you eat that if you're on a diet? And I say, well, that's the thing. I'm not on a diet. Uh, intermittent fasting, and that's the thing for listeners that may be considering intermittent fasting is it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, and it's a total rethink of the way you think about food and process food, and when we're delaying that time when we eat in a day, we're just giving our bodies that rest and our organs a rest from digesting food so much all through the day. And when I think back to those days where I drink maybe six to 10 cans of Coke, right, in a day. And then when I found out that Coke has like 10 teaspoons of sugar, so there's 50, 60 teaspoons right there, okay? So you take that out of your system and then people say to me, well, why can't I have Diet Coke or um, sodas without any sugar in it during my fast? They've got no sugar in it. I'll say, yeah, well, hang on. Well, what about the um, artificial sweeteners that are in them? 
and they're going to trigger a, a response in your brain to think that you are going to need food and then you're going to get really hungry and you're going to battle to get to your window. And I think that's the beauty about when you do clean fast, you're not having things like cream in your coffee. You're not having things like mints because you're worried about your breath's going to you know, knock someone over down the street. And, and that could happen. But I mean, you're either dedicated to it or you're not. And I understand how some people use that as a crutch to start. And I've, I've interviewed a, peop, a lot of people, as you have, Lisa, and I would say 80% of people that I've interviewed were doing things like cream in their coffee and that sort of thing. And then they discovered the clean fast and then they realized the benefits were almost immediate. No, oh, totally immediately. Um, we have a media battle, though, with sometimes when someone on one of the networks in the U.S. starts intermittent fasting and that person will exclaim, yes, I'm fasting. Um, I, I have fewer than 50 calories in the morning, so that doesn't break my fasts. And those of us go, yes, it." we're yelling at the TV. Yes, it does break your fast. So it's just something we need to continue to tell people. And again, once you understand the science about insulin's role and that what I told Jen was, um, years I interviewed her really a couple of years ago on the radio here in Arkansas, and I've said it since, the brain doesn't read labels. So the brain doesn't see that zero calorie because the brain sees, oh, I've got to usher glucose to the cells. Um, and that's why glucose and insulin at that point are important. I know you get asked all the time, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, but what do you eat then in your one hour in a, in a traditional Monday through Friday setting for you? What's a, What do you do to get full and satiated, have satiety in that time? Sure. So my style is an OMAD style. So during the week now, on Which is one meal a day. Yeah, one, one meal, meal a day. day. So let's define one meal a day, OMAD. So some people will think, what, you only eat one plate of food, that's it? And I'll, I'll say, no. Imagine going to a restaurant and you sit down and you order an entree and then you order a main. And if you feel like it, you might have a dessert or you might have a cheese board, and you might have a, a coffee or two or something like that, and then you'll wrap it up and you'll go home. So that's the style of eating that I do in an OMAD one meal a day lifestyle, okay? That restaurant style, where typically I'll open with a snack of, say, cheese, tomatoes, uh, crackers, um, something like that, maybe a bit of salami. I usually like to open my window, and getting back to your point about how do you stop that binging feeling when your window opens is have a little bit of higher fat when you open that window, like something like a bit of avocado or maybe a cream in your coffee to open your window because what that will do will, will take the edge off. And so you won't have that feeling of like, I'm going to eat like crazy as soon as my window opens. And then take a pause, wait for a little while, then have your main meal and then see how you feel after that. I mean, when I talk about dessert for me, there's something like berries, um, blackberries, um, strawberries, something like that, maybe a tiny bit of yogurt, all those sorts of things. But usually by then I'm satisfied. And when we get to that satisfied point, we get that signal, don't we, Lisa, where you, you know that you're, you're done. Yeah, right. it's like mm -hmm. that sigh. It's like it's almost mm -hmm. deafening when you just almost shut off. You <laughs> just go, yeah. And it takes a while. And I mean, when people first start, they say, "Well, I don't get that signal." Well, it takes a while. It will take you 
six to 12 weeks to get to that point where you just know, okay, great, I'm done for today. And I think when people think of, I've got a four hour window, so hey, I can eat for four hours. So it doesn't matter whether I feel full, I'm just gonna keep eating because my window's open for four hours. And then they say, oh, you know, I felt really sick in my window and I had to go lay on the couch and I got really tired and I had to have a sleep. And that's because they kept eating past that point of when they were satisfied because they thought, hey, my window's still open. Or they think, well, I'm not gonna be able to eat for another 16, 20 hours. So I've got to get it in, even though I've already had enough to be satisfied for that day. And it's important to get to that point when you recognize I've had enough for today. It doesn't matter if your window's one, two, three, four, five hours. If you're done, you're done. So you really listen to your body. Oh, absolutely. And I think you get so much in tune with your body now. And it's like when I say I weigh every day, I can almost tell you nearly to 100% when I go to bed at night and I I hop into bed, I know what that scale is going to say the next day. I know it's going to be because you just, you know how your body feels. And you know, when you get that heavy feeling after maybe, you know, a few more carbohydrates than you might have than normal, or, you know, you might have a couple of alcoholic drinks or something like that. But it's important too that I have to say to people, I judge no one. I mean, I keep my eyes on my own plate. What you eat is entirely up to you. Some people can eat all the things in their window and they have massive success. And some people can't. And you have to, if it's not working for you, you may be one of those people that have to analyze what am I having in my window that's holding me back? What are the trigger points? Is it bread? Is it alcohol? And I mean, we find so many people, they'll say, hey, I delayed alcohol for a month and I had it started moving and I started getting these great results. And then they find that, you know, they find that that key of what's stopping them. Uh, have you found that in the past with yourself? Oh, yeah. I definitely know that I I have a limit on really just the amount of food I can have, but I can't have it all. So in my mind, that party girl that I am deep inside isn't really a party girl anymore because I can't have alcohol plus a meal plus a dessert, plus, plus, you know, plus a nightcap. So it has made me streamline really my consumption and me. Now I have to decide before I go to a meal or if I have something, I kind of have to pick and choose because appetite correction, you know, it's a phenomenon, appetite correction. But once it hits, Graham, it hits. And then don't you feel like I can't overeat? And I'm not saying that piously. I'm saying I physically don't, I, I can't do I can't do it. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, you get to that point where you just can't keep going. You just, the feeling that you get of feeling sick and not great. And I know when I get to that point where I hear that signal and I'm saying, right, I'm done for today. It's really satisfying. And you sit back and you go, wow, that was good. And I really try very hard to make my window worthy. And for me, me, if it's not worthy, it's not going to fly. I'm eating once a day. I'm not going to sacrifice that that period for anything. If I go to a restaurant and I sit down and I look at the menu and I think to myself, there is absolutely nothing on here that's worthy to me. 
I'll go to another restaurant. And I've done well, that good before. Good for you. Yeah, I've done that. I, I will not accept. I will not accept that because you, when you get to that point of, I just want something that's worthy, and we've all done it. We've all had a window where you've thought, oh, man, it's so oh, bad. Mm-hmm. It's the worst ever. You've had a rotten meal or whatever, and it's a horrible feeling. So if I am going to go to a restaurant, I usually check out the menu first or whatever, have a look, and then I know that it's okay. And <clears throat> that sort of thing. Think about the amount of money you've saved by cutting down your trips through the drive-through. And now because our consumption, um, we've reduced our consumption, my husband and I being empty nesters, it's easy for us now. And now I know if I still had children at home, it might be a little more challenging, but he, my husband has a similar philosophy, you know, once we're finished and satisfied, we're satisfied. But and that way you do, you might spend more at a more expensive restaurant than going six times to the cheap drive-through because I'm just getting one shot at eating today, one shot and a snack usually for me. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm spending my money wisely. Let's talk about your, you have your own podcast, correct? Yeah, I have a mind podcast, the Fasting Highway podcast. Um, I started it in uh, August of 2020. Um, I've recorded, um, well, I've What's gone to air is I think we're up to episode 34. I've interviewed some of the most experienced fasters uh, going, um, some great people, um, including Jim Stevens and some people you've had on your podcast, Laurie Lewis and a few others. Right, love her. Yeah, Kim Smith. um, Yeah. Awesome. um, John Jerry Saunders, who's an amazing guy. And I mean, so many amazing stories. And, you know, and what, what, what do you do for a living, Graham? I don't think I know. Okay, so I work for two farming associations here in Australia, and okay. we do agricultural research for farmers. So we conduct field trials, that sort of thing on farms, find out what works, what doesn't. My role is that I'm the events and communications guy. So I run big field days. We get a whole heap of machinery there. We do live trials of machines for farmers. We do crop inspection walks where we get farmers to come and have a look at the different field trials. Well, back to you saying you're the party guy. You're there for the, you bring all the fun. Oh, yeah. Look, I was a massive party guy and everybody yeah. at you, me, you, me is a larger than life guy. I was the first guy there and I was the last guy to go. <laughs> okay. And and I used to get a lot of invites to parties because people gravitated towards me because <laughs> I, they, they just liked me, you know, they knew that yeah. I was a fun person and and I, I guess I have changed in a lot of ways. and But to me, that's just not what I want to do anymore. I'll still go to a party and I'll still enjoy myself and have fun. And um, most people, they've sort of got over that now. All my friends and my family, they just accept what I do and they can see what it's done for me and they can see how I've helped other people um, through my podcast and, and through other avenues and, you know, just the people in my circle. And speaking of farmers, I mean, there was a farmer that saw my progress. Um, he's on one of our boards. And he looked at me and he said, you look amazing. He said, what's this all about? And I hadn't seen him for two or three months. And we were doing a Zoom call one day and I was looking at him on the screen. And I was thinking, what has happened to him? And then I rang him afterwards and I said, mate, you are looking fantastic. What, what's the deal? And he said, well, he said, after seeing you, he said, I started looking into this intermittent fasting thing and I started and he'd lost um, 30 kilos, 66 pounds. He reversed his diabetes. He's off his medications now. He looks 20 years younger. 
His wife is just over the moon. She said, it's like having a you guy. And, um, but the really funny thing is he lives in a small country town. He's a farmer. So all these other guys in his circle have seen him and now they're getting onto it. And he said to me, oh, he said, you're probably the scourge of the local hotel and golf club here because <laughs> all these guys are down there drinking all day and eating all the food. But getting back to your point about saving money, uh, I would say I've saved no money intermittent fasting, and I'll tell you why. Because all the money that I've saved on food, I've spent it on clothes and shoes. Oh. <laughs> okay, so That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I recorded an episode. My first podcast I ever recorded was with my wife, and it was called My Wife Spills the Beans on Living with Someone on an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. And she spilled the beans all right, but she told everybody – that I'd been covered clothes horse. And when I was obese, Lisa, I used to go to shops uh, for clothes and obesity used to choose my clothes for me, okay? And now I choose my clothes and I can wear any clothes I want and I love it and I'm open about it and I can go into a high-end menswear store, it doesn't matter where it is, and get clothes that I want to wear and I'm not afraid to spend money on that. And I'll say that about clothes too, that when you lose a lot of weight, as your clothes get loose or baggy on you, get them out the door, donate them. Don't have those clothes hanging around because your mindset is when you were a dieter, oh, I'm just gonna put those clothes aside in case um, I regain this weight, I'm gonna need those clothes. So I'm gonna have 10 different sizes in my wardrobe. And I'm going to pile them all up and, you know, there's going to be, you end up with a wardrobe with so many sizes. But when you're in this lifestyle, when you get down in weight and those clothes are hanging off you, pass them on, donate them. And only keep clothes in your wardrobe that fit you. And for your mindset going forward, that's so great because that's another insurance policy. If you've got a whole wardrobe of beautiful clothes, you don't want to go back to where you were because you're not going to be able to wear those beautiful clothes. And that drives me. And I know the first time I went into a menswear store and I went to grab a shirt, which was a 2XL. And this guy said to me, oh, no. He said, that's going to be way too big for you. Here, try this one. And I looked at him and I thought, are you crazy? There's no way I'm ever going to fit a large or an extra large shirt. That's not going to happen. I'm a guy that used to have 5XL shirts. And I went into the change rooms and I put this shirt on and it fitted me beautifully. And I stood there in front of the mirror and I just started crying. And I bought it and I went out of the shop and ran into my wife who was in another shop. And she said, why are you crying? And I said, I told her what happened. And um, we gave each other this massive hug. And for me, that was a turning point where I knew that I was a normal person. And I felt so great. And I remember when I was very obese going into an Armani suit store in Sydney and this very snooty sales assistant came over and he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. He said, we don't have suits that will fit you. There is a big and tall shop down the road. And I remember being so humiliated that when I lost the weight, I flew to Sydney from Perth um, to see my wife's family, and I thought, I'm going into that shop. I'm going to find that guy, and I'm going to do the big Julia Roberts moment, okay? <laughs> yes. And, yeah, so I went in there, 
And unfortunately, he wasn't there. And uh, But I told the, the manager of what happened and uh, I felt really good about it. And since then, I mean, I, I love it. I love my whole wardrobe's full of lovely clothes now and jackets and people that know me in the groups and that, they always say to me, you know, you you always look pretty well dressed when you go out and that sort of thing. And I say, well, if I'm going down the road to buy milk now, I mean, I'll actually go and get dressed. I won't wear this shirt down to buy milk. I'll go and, go and get dressed and um, because it makes me feel good. So when people say to me, you must have saved a lot of money, my wife just laughs and say, you haven't seen our <laughs> bank account. Graham, you're so inspiring. I mean, you your enthusiasm and your zeal for life is just incredible. And to show people, this is what I love about intermittent fasting. All those years, I fed my kids two in the morning because I thought they needed this, you know, so they could go on about their day. You have to have brain power. And now I haven't eaten now in almost 24 hours. Um, this is our time difference, obviously, and it's nighttime, dinner time for us here. But I have so much energy in the fasted state. And I think that's another part of fasting that shocks people is that, and, and I know it's morning time for you, so you obviously haven't eaten, but how good you feel throughout the day, because I don't, I really don't have hunger until it's about time. And I think that's a neat thing that our bodies, how they've adapted to this lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I was a bit worried about the time difference, actually. I thought Lisa might be sitting there eat, eating her window and I'm sitting here, I've still got another 10 hours to go. But um, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Like I woke up this morning uh, before this interview. I went for a, a four-kilometre walk. I fed the horses. You know, you just feel terrific. I mean, you don't feel sluggish. My energy mm -hmm. right now is really great and I feel good. I'm sitting here with my black coffee and my water and I'm happy as a lark and I know that I'm not going to eat till five. Then that's the thing. The longer you go with fasting, you actually forget that you even do fast. Oh, yeah. And that's why we've all said that hunger's not an emergency. And like when my husband and I travel, there used to be a time where I'd say, well, we have to work in a pit stop because I may get hungry. Well, I don't say those words. If there's, if it's not window worthy, I'm not going to stop and eat just because it's time. I'll just wait. And that that's a real, that's what I was saying earlier, the freedom you get in having control and having control over food. Food does not control me. And that's just, I, I love saying that in, I started in 2017, so I've been saying that here we are, 2021, and I just love the way I feel. Graham, you're great. I'll link your podcast, and your book is The Fasting Highway, and your podcast is The Fasting Highway, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. I like to keep everything the same, and my website's also thefastinghighway.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, download the episodes, and even leave a review. If you ever have a suggestion on someone you think I need to interview, let me know, lisa at lisafishersaid.com. And check out my website when you get a chance, lisafishersaid.com.